Mad Unreal, episode 20. This is Arthur, that is Isaac. And I am tired of not going to a movie theater. I really, really want <laughs> to go to a movie theater. What was the last, do you remember the last film you saw? Mm. Mm. I, I don't really think, don't. yeah, I don't either. I was trying to think, did I see, when did I see Knives Out? Because I know I was late on Knives Out, and that was a holiday film of 2019. And then I think I saw it, you know what, I think I saw that at the end of December. So I'm trying to think, did I go to the theater in January or February? Right. It might have been, it might have been Rise of Skywalker. That, that might have been it for you? It might have been um, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I think for me it was Knives Out, and that was late December, and I don't think I went. Of course, had I known what I know now, I would definitely went in January and February. I would have went to see anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I miss it as well. So it's been a a long time. It's funny, though, man. I think that the average, they did a poll. I think the average person, or I should say the average American, only goes maybe two to three times a year to a movie theater. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Just, you know, averaging everything out. But yeah, for people like us, I think who go more often, it's just been, it's been hard. It's been a long, long stretch. You know, just last week, uh, AMC Theaters has uh, reworked its timeline to reopening. Um, originally, they were talking about end of, end of July, mm-hmm. um, but now they're talking about mid to late August. Mm. If you know, that, if mean, that happens, it, exactly, 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 and and even if the, and the, the reality is that even if they opened like you know at three o'clock today, it's not like. I'm running to the movie theater. Right. Mask, yeah. mask or not. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> Everybody's a little apprehensive, right? Understandably. Yeah. So and it's almost like they need to do a grace period. Like they need to just go ahead and open up and just expect, okay, mm-hmm. this is going to be a two month grace period. We're not going to make any money for a while, but we need to open up and just get this over with and get yeah. people used to the idea. So, but yeah, that's all depressing, bad news. And we've got more depressing, bad news. Com- no, I'm just kidding. We have some exciting news. <laughs> Some exciting news and interesting things to talk about that may be COVID related because everything is COVID related now, right? Um, you can't get away from it, but that's right. Um, we have some different angles to take. So I'm, I'm excited about today's show, though. All right, so let's do it. This is Mad Unreal, episode 20. Let's go. <laughs> It seems, well, first of all, the other shoe, it felt like AMC was tying their reopening to Tenet's schedule. Right. Right. That, they, that you know, that, that, that Nolan, who has been um, adamant, very adamant. In fact, this past week, um, one, of the, one of the, I think a VP at Warner Brothers Studios had backed him up by saying, you know, Tenet is not going to be released to streaming. It is going to be released to theaters. Mm-hmm. Theater, 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 theater. I, th- and I think, though, you know, it changes every day, though, because it's like not not their decision not to release the VOD, but right. it was delayed indefinitely. And then the last thing I heard, you know, literally maybe hours ago before we started recording was they're now considering doing a staggered release. You know, like it'll be in this market, you know, maybe somewhere mm-hmm. in Asia for, you know, starting in August and then it'll be mm-hmm. this market and, you know, whatever. So. But yeah, to your point, they're not, they're, they're determined, of course, not. And, you know, we talked about this before with the money that's on the table. They can't really release it VOD. Um, but yeah, they they're, they were, I think a lot of hopes and dreams were tied to the tenant release um, right. happening sometime this summer. Right. Well, let's just update our rundown of the most recent rescheduling. Um, some of this is new. Some of this probably is just stuff that I just, you know, forgot we said earlier. But uh, we know that Mulan is uh, tabled indefinitely. Uh, Mission Impossible Seven has been has been delayed. Uh, I think I think a few weeks ago, Tom Cruise actually got like permission to fly somewhere to com- complete production. Yeah, they were because he's Top Gun is done, but that's been also delayed. But they yep, were yep. Mission Impossible. They were filming. I think they got a special permission to either fly or do do something that was not you know socially distance approved, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically yeah. somewhere in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Avatar, a sequel to Avatar, is uh, delayed. Um, uh, of course, Ghostbusters. That's we don't know when that's coming out. Um, the big question, though, 
James Bond, the next Bond film, the 25th Bond film, is still slated for November. But yeah. honestly, I just think that they pushed it out so far to begin with mm-hmm. that they don't necessarily need to say anything until maybe October. Yeah, I mean, they know? were really, they were really um, um, prescient. You know, they, they, they realized before anybody, because um, remember when they first announced, what was that? That was late March, I think, or early April. When they, I think it was late March when they finally, or, or early April, when they said, listen, um, just out of nowhere, it felt like, you know, the movie got rescheduled to November and everybody was like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? And it was like, mm-hmm. at that time, the full impact of COVID hadn't hit everybody as far as, you know, how terrible this thing actually was. Right. And so it seemed almost a little bit premature. And then a couple of weeks later, it was like, okay, they knew what they were doing. Um, but now, yeah, does it seem, is that, is that far enough? You know, was November far enough? Um, or should they, you know, Fast and Furious, you know, they got kicked a year. That was back in April when they decided, yeah, we're going to just delay this film for an entire year. Um, but I, yeah, to your point, I think there, November seems, it seemed past tense so far away that it doesn't, it didn't think, you know, you didn't think that they needed to say anything, but now, man, it's, it's, it's about to be August um, November is not feeling that far away anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thinking that we may get an announcement from Eon in August uh, or early early September um, saying the film maybe is going to be delayed into 2021. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I, I actually think they're going to they're going to wait until I'll give you late October. I'll give it late October. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I'll give it late September. But my feeling is that they would wait. Mm-hmm. And then, so of course, the October to really know if the tenant thing is a success, if they make enough, you know, if, they, if, if, if the mm-hmm. staggered release works, that's an option for bond. But then also you're dealing with plot, you know, plot leaks, things all over Twitter and the Internet, you know. Yeah. Um, now, that could be an issue if they release it. It um, in Asia, particularly. Right. It's kind of weird to say, because it's like, no, I don't think anybody in Asia is worried about. Well, you know what? If Tenet comes out in the U.S., we're about to find out because it's going to be all right. We get. <laughs> I can't say that so though. I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe about. they are real. Maybe they are. You know, worried about that. I don't know. But mm-hmm. yeah, I know Bond in particular. You know, there's so much because the things have already leaked about Bond um, yeah. about No Time to Die. So if it gets actually released in another market, especially God forbid, if it got released, you know, I shouldn't say God forbid, but for, from an American's perspective, God forbid, if it gets released in the U.K ahead of the u.s like significantly like months ahead of the u.s there's no way you're keeping those you know Mm -hmm. um spoilers from from hitting uh from crossing Mm -hmm. the pond it's going to happen okay so this is something that uh we were talking about offline but we have a list of movies that were slated to come out we have a list of films that were currently in production that have been moved but what about existing treatments or existing plans for sequels or uh, uh, the MCU, for example. Um, mm. We know that they delayed um, um, the Falcon and uh, um, Winter uh, Soldier. Thank you. Falcon mm. and Winter Soldier. Um, and you had brought up the point that, well, you know what? It's probably because Black Widow has been delayed and they need that to come out first in order to keep the continuity of the story that they've that they put together already for right falcon and winton soldier which makes sense but beyond that you know is 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 this crisis forcing studios to reconsider just just the future of these properties mm-hmm. that haven't you know haven't even been in that they don't have a script yet for but are clearly going to happen mm-hmm. um could it be that they do some sort of not necessarily staggered release, but um, um, divide up parts of the IP where certain things are released to streaming, certain things are reworked for film. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I remember the Matrix trilogy. And I remember that between the Matrix, the initial film in 1999, mm-hmm. and... Um, um, reloaded. Yeah, right. There was the Animatrix, and there was right. a series of, I believe, five, no more than six short animes mm-hmm. that that were a bridge between um, Neo realizing or becoming the one and 
the uh, the machine army beginning to drill to get to Zion to destroy Zion. Mm-hmm. Um, could that be something that works mm-hmm. for MCU, for right. example, or even Star Wars? Yeah, I mean, I think the Star Wars thing is, is is a good place to start simply because they okay. So Disney Plus launches last year, twenty nineteen, uh, end yeah. of twenty fall of twenty nineteen. And their lead, Disney Plus's lead, you know, they had a, a, an enormous amount of content on day one, but their lead thing was no doubt the Marvel and Star Wars. Um, right. And their new, the new content they had to offer right away was The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that kind of served as a, they're, they're almost ahead of the game right now. You know, at that point in time, obviously no one knew um, anything about COVID, you know, the, you know, the, the arrival of COVID. 19 but Disney Plus um was fortunate enough to be you know to have this this perfect timing to kind of road test um this idea of bringing their theatrical properties onto mm-hmm. a streaming service and continue, you know seeing how that narrative played out there to me it, it really it kind of comes back to and if we look at Star Wars you're looking at kind of coming back to their heritage because and correct me if I'm wrong but George Lucas has constantly said um a lot of his influence, a lot of his inspiration for Star Wars came from old serial, you know, adventure serials. Um, as far as, you know, uh, I don't know if it was just television, radio, comics, whatever, but those adventure books, I should say those adventure style serials where you had these long kind of, um, you know, heroic journeys or heroic epics told over a series of different adventures and kind of ending Mm -hmm. with cliffhangers and then, you know, continuing and continuing. So, that you know that style of storytelling is much more um uh viable on a you know serialized streaming uh platform rather than you know say three movies um you can do it with three movies obviously the original trilogy the original star wars trilogy did it very well over three movies but i think the mandalorian and um a lot of the other you know serialized unreal you know adventure superhero um, action type, you know, television shows we watched, you know, all our lives um, have shown that that kind of storytelling, the best place to do that is when you have, say, eight episodes or 10 episodes mm-hmm. that you can tell mm-hmm. over a two month uh, a, a time a span of time. Um, and The Mandalorian felt like a return to that. So I, I feel like this may be a sign if, if at Disney and at Lucasfilm, if they are having these conversations like, OK, this crisis is, you know, ongoing. And even after this crisis is over, do we want to put everything back into a theatrical Mm -hmm. vein of storytelling? I don't think so. I think that they are looking at the success of the Mandalorian and saying we, they're they're going to kind of move a lot of that type of storytelling into the streaming service, which is why this week alone, you know, we already know the Obi-Wan series is coming. Right. Um, and we should specify that we're talking about live action. I, you know, we're, we're focusing on live action right now. Um, the Obi-Wan series is coming. But this week we got the rumor. I don't know if it was confirmed or not of a Darth Maul series, you know, coming to Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that they in particular are looking at that. And it makes sense when you consider the heritage um, of what George Lucas wanted to, you know, where his inspiration came from. Um, from a Marvel standpoint, you know, the comic book heritage, you know, comic books yeah. are serialized. Um, it all it all kind of it feels like a, a, a coming back home almost. You know, uh, we talked about it in the last episode um, where DC Comics announced that um, they were going to do a Gotham Police series on mm-hmm. HBO Max. That was set in the world of the Batman the upcoming Batman film, whenever that comes out with Robert Pattinson. Mm-hmm. It, uh, this may be a road test for something like that. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe it was even considered to be, you know, a film. Maybe it wasn't imagined as mm. as a right. That's a good point. That's because they did. I mean, the involvement of Matt Reeves kind of tells you, okay, you know, because the, the new Gotham PD is going to take place in the universe that he's building. You know, in the right. Batman universe that he's currently right. building with the Batman film. So did they, yeah, did they approach and say, okay, we're going to do, it was an original, like you just said, Gotham PD movie, and we want you to produce it and we'll find a director and blah, blah, blah. But then post-March, you know, that conversation gets switched to a series. I, you know, I don't know, maybe we'll find out in the future, but I think that's a really good example because 
that, um, like we talked about last episode, that idea is really coming from is based heavily on the Gotham Central comic. And that's the serialization. You know, um, it could could it become a movie? Of course. But the exciting part is to know that um, whether you agree with us our last episode or not about uh, defunding the Gotham PD, um, which, by the way, if you haven't heard that quick advertisement, go back and listen to that episode, um, episode 19 of Mad Unreal. Should the Gotham PD be defunded? Um, so anyway, if, whether or not you agree with that or not, the idea of seeing that story played out over, say, you know, 10 episodes yeah. um, is just more compelling, you know, than seeing it, you know, in a, in a two hour film, um, even if, you know, there's going to be sequels. So, yeah, I think that's that's a good example. Now, let me ask you this, though. Deep the, the you mentioned before about um, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah. To me, that's, you know the the kind of the interpolation and the the inner inner uh, or the cross pollination I should say um, of you know theatrical releases and your streaming services mm-hmm. and tying narratives over both like Marvel you know because Marvel sat you know Kevin Feige last year um, I think it was at Comic Con last year did the whole big presentation where it was like revealed all of these you know upcoming mm-hmm. Disney Plus okay, Marvel shows. And the big part of that was like, yeah, these are not going to take place in a separate universe. These shows are taking place in the same universe. All this is MCU. The films and the the Disney Plus stuff, everything's MCU. So you're going to see the influence of the Disney Plus series on the films um, and not just vice and not just the other way around. You're going to see the the series impacting the, the, the theatrical releases. So that was a big push. You know, that was a big part of what they were doing. Now you see the problem with that though is because like you just said black widow has to come out you know before falcon winter because mm-hmm. falcon winter soldier is wrapped it's done it's ready to go um they may be in post they may still be doing some post stuff you know sound whatever um maybe um special effects you know whatever but the series is ready to go and it was supposed to launch i think in what was it this fall i think it was the earliest or was it this summer i think it was fall it was the original it was fall release too. Yeah, it was fall, September, October. But now it's been pushed back because Black Widow has to come out. So there's that kind of inherent, you know, if you're going to kind of intertwine these two things, you're kind of, you know, handicapping yourself to an an extent because the minute something of this, you know, especially, you know, during this outbreak, the minute something happens, a wave hits or something like that, you know, it's like, you know, you have to close, shut down theaters, nobody can go. Now, not only can you not see this film, that Disney Plus series or that even that episode, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> episode nine that's supposed to be coming next week. Now you can't see that because you got to go see this film first, you know. So I, I think that's that's one of the kind of the drawbacks, which I mean, would you agree with that? Um, I would agree that it's sort of a, a um, Black Widow's holding up the whole Pardon the expression, but the whole stream. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the whole, the whole. It's like one, it's like a train, a separate train ahead on the tracks got derailed. So now the whole, everybody got to stop. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. we're all on the same track. We're not on, you know, we don't have different lanes. It's not like an, it's not like an expressway. We can just, we're all on the same track. So it's like that trail, that train got derailed. Now everybody has to stop. And for the linear storytelling that the MCU did so well in that those first 10 years, this is a problem. You know, this, this is a, this is a hand had they had, if they still had the Netflix series, you know, which weren't dependent upon the films, then yeah, we can go ahead and air that up that season of Daredevil because that has nothing to do with what we're doing, you know, over here. Um, But when it's all intertwined, this becomes, becomes an issue. Now, let me ask you this though. Did you see the, um, the episode of Disney plus gallery, with uh when they were focusing on the behind the scenes of the Mandalorian. Did you see the yes. one um where they spotlighted the volume that's that room that they created where they do um they film basically the Mandalorian and you think they're on location but they're actually in that room filming. Did you right. see that one? I did. So that to me is one of the strongest indicators of that that I mean that's a watershed moment. You know what I'm saying? The creation of that that not the technology, the technology is already had already existed, but what um, Favreau and his team did and, you know, creating that space where they could basically, again, you know, shoot on location without going anywhere mm-hmm. um, to the point where, the, you know, the Mando's walking through a desert and I'm thinking, oh, they went to, you know, somewhere in North, yeah. right. They went somewhere in Northern Africa or somewhere and filmed this. Yeah. No, yeah. actually that was in some room in LA. Um, yeah. That was a watershed moment. Cause what that says is that 
now if I'm a studio and I'm thinking about like we, you know, moving some of my IP or some of my my narrative over to streaming, mm-hmm. that I'm, I don't there's you know the, the level of quality you know between some of the uh, st- streaming stuff and the big budget theatrical stuff that kind of gap has been you know narrowed a little bit um not completely you know, but a little bit yeah and that that that's a good point because i'm thinking about now it's to the point we're at the point where we're balancing public safety mm-hmm. and I, now i'm i'm painting with a really big brush because some people don't don't care nothing about public safety <laughs> right but we're dealing with a balance between public safety and revenue generation mm-hmm. um, because full stoppage of the economy directly affects public safety and public safety directly affects mm-hmm. rebuilding cool. economy right well, <laughs> welcome to, welcome so, to capitalism <laughs> yeah so so you'd have to think that studios and using that room as an example mm-hmm. would think about okay how can we move forward in safe spaces that we don't that nobody gets sick mm-hmm. and production halts and we've lost a month or six mm-hmm. weeks mm-hmm. Um, it almost made me think of animation and having a resurgence of animation mm-hmm. because in theory that is super safe right right you just need a team of artists wherever they are in a in a, in a big old cloud drive mm-hmm. where they can all collaborate and, and and submit and retrieve art and assets um you know i wonder if if the mcu with the shows the television shows maybe even the films mm-hmm. but with the television shows can either can build something like that Mm. or repurpose something that they've already created for that to be able to keep going, keep these films, you know, moving. Mm -hmm. I absolutely, I mean, that's, first of all, that's an excellent point. And I, I absolutely agree with you. I do think, um, you are going to see a resurgence in, in animation that MCU event that I mentioned a minute ago, um, last year at Comic-Con, there was of that slate of films or a slate of television shows, Disney plus television shows that Kevin Feige announced only one of them was animated. And that's the what if series, which is not scheduled to Mm -hmm. launch, I think until 2022, um, which you have your man, Jeffrey Wright playing the watcher. Um, Mm -hmm. who's basically, you know, an overseer of the entire, you know, Marvel universe. And in the comic book series, he would present, you know, what if scenarios to certain characters, um, what if Electra lived? You know, what if uh, the Fantastic Four hadn't encountered that storm or whatever and turned into, you know, all, just all types of scenarios that would mm-hmm. completely shift, you know, the narrative of a certain character or of an entire, you know, um, story arc, you know, if that had right. impact on, on a bunch of characters and in, 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 in the world in general. So that series was slated to be an animated series. Jeffrey Wright voices the the, um, the Watcher. And then some of the MCU actors, you know, Chris Hemsworth, mm-hmm. um, Scarlett uh, Johansson, whoever they um, chat with Bozeman, you know, they voice their actual characters, you know. So it's like yeah. you have some continuity between um, the uh, the live action and the animated. So but again, that was the only animated thing. Now, if that announcement were to happen today, I to your point, I definitely believe that you would see, okay, yeah, we've got these five live action things we're planning. And then we've mm-hmm. got these four animated things, you know, that mm-hmm. we're planning as well. Um, Cause I mean, it, it is a safer space. And what does that mean towards, you know, the kind of the movement that we've seen over the last 10 years, you know, the, if you look at where we are in terms of superhero cinema in 2020 versus where we were in say 2010 or 20, uh, 2009, um, 2009, I think that, you know, no one can argue the fact that there's been a huge um, increase or huge, le- you know, increase in level of interest from the general audience, the general consumer in superhero cinema. Right. So if you start doing a bunch of animated stuff, which a lot of people sadly don't view animation as lofty, lawfully as at a lofty point as they view, say, live action, 
um, does that, you know, does that hurt the movement that's happened over the last, so, you know, 10 yeah, years? You're talking about audience acceptance. Audience Will audiences acceptance, accept right. Tom Hiddleston voicing an animated Loki as opposed to appearing, you know, in physical mm, character? Do I give the same, you know, uh, level of gravity, the gravitas? Do I feel, you know, is that is as worthy Where as my attention? is voicing the character as opposed to being physically in character. Right, right. And I, and I realize we're, you know, we're speculating on this in a world where, you know, animated films make you know hundreds of millions of dollars you know um but those are the pixar films toy story films you know all these films make you know a billion dollars um but we're talking about you know storytelling that's a little bit that skews a little bit older you know what i'm saying it's, it doesn't it's not necessarily targeting the targeting the the young 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 children it's targeting young kids and teens and adults um mm-hmm. So how does that play out? So I, overall, though, I think Disney Plus is ahead. And it's interesting to me, though, and this is one point I want to bring up to you and ask and get your thoughts on how, you know, because we're talking about things moving to streaming. Obviously, on this show, we're focused on superhero cinema. But in the broader picture, we're talking about all types of things, dramas, right. comedies, whatever. Everything is kind yep. of like looking at streaming and saying, OK, what can we do here if we can't get back in theaters? Right. Um, but it seems to me that if you look at the the debut of Disney Plus last year, and then you compare it to the debut of um, what's it, Quibi, 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 Quibi. I think it's Quibi, yeah. Quibi. The ten minute like, you know, Yeah, I think it's you know the the streaming platform where they do like the ten minute you know shows or the five minute shows. Uh-huh. Um, the Katzenberg Whitman. Uh, right. Exactly. Venture. Exactly. Um, which they sunk. You know hundreds i think they sunk a billion dollars into that or something like that you know so if you look at the launch of that and or the launch of hbo max which just happened recently Mm -hmm. um if you look at the launches of these things compare them to disney plus disney plus's launch was much 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 more successful and i think this is why i want to get your opinion on it but i think that has to do with the fact that they led with superhero cinema basically they led with unreal you know um uh intellectual property and that was mm-hmm. star wars and marvel that mm-hmm. was the hook yes they had all the disney films yes they had all these other television shows and um much you know the kid friendly stuff they had um uh i think they had espn on day one too or they had sports related material on day one um from you know through the disney disney plus network uh or, or uh, national geographic they had you know so they had all this content, but what really led it was Star Wars and Marvel. So to me, that was a really good indicator of what we're talking about today and that migration that may happen from of superhero cinema to streaming services. I think Disney Plus has shown that that's a way to grab people and to, you know, to get to pull them in is by using mm-hmm. superhero uh, cinema. What do you think about that? Well, I think you're right. I, I do think that the the success there's some other factors there too i mean their the launch price point was really low so that they could get a jump on netflix in particular right um so i don't know if the cfo would call it a success in the same way that that you know the head of <laughs> pr would call it a success right but to your point to your He's point it was a numbers, huge launch right. you know um well, I think two things. One is, and I'm sorry if it sounds off topic, I'm, I may be addressing something you said you know, earlier, but superhero films um, really are in a great position to kind of create whatever sort of world that they need to create, be it digital, be it animated, be it, uh, you know, be it uh, 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 film screen, be it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, home television, than like a drama would. Mm-hmm. because you can just digitally create the entire atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be hard for a film like uh, like the next James Bond movie. Right. Like, how are they going to do that? The, the, one, of the, one of the tent poles of a Bond film uh, is the varied locations. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... That's, that's Bondian part right. of it, you know. Right. <laughs> you right. know, the location is just important to the story as you know the individual who's the villain and what that agenda is. Mm-hmm. Well, and also is budget size as well. So, okay, for No Time to Die, we know you know 
right out the gate, they looking at like 250, you know, 250 mm-hmm. mil and then another mm-hmm. hundred mil for, you know, you know, added add-ons and, then, you know, another yeah, yeah, hundred, yeah, for another you hundred mil for advertising. Right. So it's like, you're looking at the end of the day, we're looking at 500 mil, you know, thereabouts $500 million. Mm-hmm. So let's say, okay, yeah, now for bond 26, Let's, you know, hypothetically, let's say we're going to move some of the storytelling onto a streaming platform. So we're not just going to pin completely on the theatrical release. We're going to launch some bond content on, you know, whatever streaming service. Um, what's hop- what, what budget are we looking at? You know, they're not nobody's mm-hmm. dropping 500 mil on a 10 episode. And, you know, I mean, Game of Thrones, maybe I think they may have done that. I'm not sure. But. 500 mil on, you know, per episode or, you know, for five episodes, that's 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 not happening in this current the current um, uh, atmosphere environment that we live in. So, well, we'll that plays a minute, but that plays a part, though, that plays a part, though, in what you just said a minute ago, as far as location shooting, because now it's not, you know, okay are we going to be satisfied with the Star Wars, the Mandalorian setup where we have that that room that they call the volume and we're going to shoot Bond in there. Or do we actually need to go to these locations like we've done with the films? Um, that's, I mean, Bond to me is a really good example of how is that transition workable? You know, because like you said, mm-hmm. Bond is the definition mm-hmm. of spectacle. That's what those films are built off of. Yeah. Um, it, they come from a, a time period where people weren't able to travel across, you know, all around the world like they are now. So going to see a Bond film in the 60s, you know, for people of that era, that was like, you know, seeing parts of the world that you had never seen before, you know, and never mm-hmm. would see. Um, and so that the, the, the adventure area, the adventure, you know, level was heightened. So that's, that's bond DNA. Um, how do you take that? Do you, can you maintain that spectacle on lower budgets and, you know, quicker shooting times, um, faster productions, you know, how can you do that on a streaming service? I don't know. Yeah. Same thing with mission impossible. Now, I don't know if, if, if Mission Impossible 7 was going to be the swan song of the franchise, mm. but, I mean, Cruz is doing a lot of practical effects in those movies. Right, right. Um, Daniel Craig, I mean, he, I mean, these people are like, they, they're breaking bones trying yeah, to make this, these movies. <laughs> and this, this is another great point you're bringing up, is the, the actors, the commitment from the actors, not just the physical, the physicality of the actual shoot, the longevity, of the, the, the length of the shoots. You know, because mm-hmm. if you're talking about, okay, we're going to do a film, and we're shooting for, you know, three months or two and a half months, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you go away and while they're, you know, you as the actor go away and, and work on another project while the directors and the editors are in post-production for another six months or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then you come back and do promotion. Well, you've done, you know, two or three projects within a year. Whereas if you're shooting a streaming service, you know, a television show, let's say you're doing that for five or six months. You know, let's say you're yeah. doubling the time because now you're shooting 10 to 15 episodes as opposed mm-hmm. to a two-hour mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. Uh, is Tom Cruise or Daniel Craig going to commit that much time? You know, um, if they have no choice, for, yeah. For, but In theory, for less money. For and Yeah, in theory, ex- exactly, for less money. So I think really in terms of Bond, the question isn't whether or not, because I feel like LeBond is always going to have to be, have his presence, that presence in the theater. I think the question is, can they do kind of what Star Wars is doing and balance the two? You know, so is there going to be some Bond content or Bond um, storytelling that lives on a streaming service? Because the theatrical is not viable um, like it was, you know, mm-hmm. a year or two, three years ago. Um, and I, I don't know, how does that play with Bond? You know, are we talking about two different James Bonds? Are we talking about, like we mentioned in the previous episode, Felix Leiter getting his own series? Um, what are we talking about? You know, how do you expand that Bond universe into streaming? Right. And this right. is something, you know, we should say this is something that is not um, the Bond community in particular has talked about this before. Before, you know, pre-COVID, the Bond community has talked about whether or not or kind of, you know, debated about whether or not um, Bond should follow, you know, Star Wars and Marvel um, and kind of expand, you know, into other mediums like that. Um, mm-hmm. So it's been a debate, but I think that this COVID crisis has kind of brought some of that to the forefront and the continued delay of No Time to Die. I mean, man, the last, you know, the last Bond film was uh, Spectre. That was 20, that was 2015. You know what I'm saying? So it's been fun. Right. It's almost to be six years, you know, once this film comes out, it may be six years or more um, between films. So 
in all of that time, you know, Star Wars has the advantage of, again, another season of The Mandalorian is dropping. They just, the Clone Wars is just, you know, or uh, the Clone Wars team, I should say, has just announced, you know, the Bad Batch um, television series coming next year. Um, animated. So to your your point again, the safety of mm-hmm. animation, you know, the, the mm-hmm. ability for animators and people to work in different locations. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but Bond doesn't have that. You know, Netflix doesn't seem to have a problem. Now it's not granted any, you know, five to seven hundred million, but Netflix does not have a problem throwing a hundred million dollars around mm-hmm. for projects. Um, specifically that jump out to mind is uh Bright, the Will Smith um uh, Netflix only film that went somewhere around 90 to a little over 100 million for that budget. And then most recently, uh, Charlize Theron in uh, The Old Guard mm-hmm. um, was the, that, that had that was, a $70 million budget. Wow, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. And it was also directed by uh, Gina Prince Blythewood, um, uh, a black woman who um, has not done anything like this. Um, before and it did make headlines as um, as um, how would you say uh, a win for diversity, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. both gender as well as uh, as, re- as well as m- racial. Um, it does make me wonder two things at the same time: if there's consideration by studios, Eon for Bond twenty six, mm-hmm. um, Mission Impossible eight to 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 move to the small screen mm-hmm. specifically um, still have a relatively high budget for production quality, but at the same time um, mitigate the risk of um, um, theaters mm-hmm. and the public sentiment in returning to theaters. Cause that's a, that's a hell of a variance. Like you just don't know how theaters right. are gonna, are gonna go, um, right. but you definitely know how streaming is going. You definitely know how, how the home video market or, or the video on demand market even, you mm-hmm. know, is going, um, you know, could this be that, how do you say this word by, how do you say this acronym? Is it BIPIC? BIPOC? BIPOC? I, I say BIPOC. I've, I've never heard anyone else say it though. <laughs> okay. So. I need some help on Twitter. Hashtag mad unreal. Give me, I need a phonetic pronunciation. <laughs> I say uh, what I'm gonna call BIPOC. Yeah, so BIPOC, we're gonna we, BIPOC sounds yeah, real. We're, we're gonna roll. With, we're gonna roll with BIPOC. <laughs> Bad. Um, but but uh, basically, could it be that we will see an increase mm-hmm. of of um, projects that are green lit, that are you know star produced by um, production companies? I'm thinking of um, of um, Ava uh, Dunor- Dion. Dunor-Rayas. Well, Ava, but also also um, Michael um, Michael B. Jordan's um, oh, yeah, production yeah, yeah. company. Right. Um, you know what? I, I think you will see an increase, but I, I think those budgets are going to come down. I, I don't see mm. seventy mil. That's a, that's a pretty big budget. You know, that's yeah. that's not nothing to be seen. And I thought the old guard. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the film, but I didn't think it did knock me off my feet. I'm a I'm a, I'm a Gina Prince Bythewood fan, um, and I thought it was it was it was well directed. I think the script. Um, let it down in places. Greg Rucker wrote that script, um, who actually created the the, uh, the comic book series. Mm-hmm. So I, I felt that the script needed help, and, and I think it let the film down in certain places. But it was well directed. It was um, it ended with I'm no no spoilers, so don't worry. I'm not going to give any spoiler alerts mm-hmm. um, or no spoilers. But it ended basically, you know, in a way that you can definitely see them doing another one, you know, a, a sequel to it. To me, though would the money have been and when you you know when you go after Charlize Theron you know you have to promise it's a feature film you can't say to her we're going to do a, a Netflix series um unless you know it's some sort of prestige series I don't think we're at that point where the A-list stars are going to be lining up um to do series yet even though some of them have done series Netflix series I don't think that by and large we're at that point where they're going to be down for that yet so I understand why it had to be a feature film, but and, and, and to your earlier point, it may have started off as being a theatrical release. You know, they may have had their early talks. They're planning on this being a theatrical release, um, but maybe it got switched to streaming um, mm-hmm. post-March. But I think that you are going to see those budgets come down to, you know, the 50 mil, you know, range. And then, you know, for either feature films that are streaming or for, you know, the six episode series, um, 
you know, you might see 20, you know, 10 or 15 mil per episode or something like that. So I could see that happening. And if that happens, then I could definitely see the gates opening a little bit more cracking open, you know, a little bit wider for BIPOC films and BIPOC Mm -hmm. uh, artists, you know, whether you're talking about actors, directors or writers. Um, But, you know, traditionally, though, man, in Hollywood, you know, once a new um, medium or a new infrastructure arrives, it typically gets dominated by white male storytelling. You know, that's what that's traditionally what happens with in Hollywood. So would it be a surprise if we see, okay, this shift happening towards streaming, but then we don't get the influx of, you know, BIPOC or female led projects? Um, That wouldn't surprise me at all. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And I think it it would take another push from, you know, artists and from the general public to say, no, we want more of these projects um, led by you know, BIPOC um, artists, we want more of that. We want more things directed by female directors or written by female writers um, before we see that happening. So I'm not sure to answer your question. I'm not sure. Nobody, I think the uncertainty of the situation is what really is, is driving a lot of this, but the old guard um, I think was, you know, I don't know the numbers. Netflix never releases, you know, it's numbers unless they're highly right. favorable. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think they released the numbers for Chris Hemsworth extraction because they were so high. Um, and they count, you know, a view is if you watch like, I guess two or three minutes, they, they count that as a view. So they, those numbers are so good for them. They release those, but I don't know if they're releasing the old guard numbers or announce yeah. if there's going to be a sequel um, but who knows if this is going to signal, you know, uh, influx of BIPOC projects. Um, I do know, you know, I will say this, the little bit I know of, about the industry back in, um, say June and early July, there was more of a interest, you know, shown from studios and from people in the creative industry, um, which are typically, you know, very, very white, there was an interest from them reaching out to find, you know, BIPOC stories or BIPOC artists because they looked around in the room when everything was Black Lives Matter and, you know, they're posting mm-hmm. all these things on Twitter and Instagram. But then they looked around the room and there's no um, people of color in the room with them and they have no access to these stories. So there was right. kind of like a, hey, we need, you know, we need these stories or we need to find these people to tell these stories. Right. Is that going to continue, though? You know, is that going to continue specifically in the superhero cinema world? Is that going to happen? Well, if you're asking me, I think it I think it will happen, but I think it will happen less deliberately because, you know, it's it think of it as a catch 22. It's like I'm looking around the room and I don't see any black or brown or you know so-called yellow faces let's find some people you, mm-hmm. you know check your mm-hmm. rolodex you got any, <laughs> right. got any black friends um <laughs> right. that George, if, do the joy do the tomorrow Costanza, right that's, yeah you know so he had to find a black friend <laughs> right yeah <laughs> right right or he went over to the to the home to watch the movie <laughs> right for the book right, to right. test sheet on the book club right. anyway um you know would we would we would we find uh you know x you know because I don't want to name anybody, but I'm just saying, you know, let's say it's Paramount, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If Paramount tomorrow found, you know, five people who mm-hmm. were of color, would we just be like, oh, they just got hired because they need somebody in the room, mm-hmm. right? Then if they eventually found five people over the course of, you know, 14 months, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Screw Paramount. They didn't move fast enough. They just right. taking their time. It's 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 fundamentally a no win situation. So to answer to your question is as it relates to the MCU, uh, I believe so, mm-hmm. but I I believe that it's going to happen uh, in moderation and partly because they're they don't necessarily need to look for content, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. They have that. You a, see what I'm saying? Right. They have, so they have a I'm not damn. I'm not you know damning them. And I'm not giving them a pass either. So much as they last year, they you know they they announced three years worth of productions mm-hmm. that are staffed, moving forward in some kind of way, or even if they're halted, they'll make adjustments, and maybe you'll find you know more persons of color mm-hmm. in that lane. 
right behind the scenes you know behind the camera you know because yeah the one other issue though is that in the turn you know when you look at an mcu in particular and like you said they have so much of they have they already have so much so much content they already have so many stories to put forth the problem when you think of what you're going to see on the screen you're still going to see an overwhelming amount of white faces and a lot of white male Mm -hmm. faces simply because the heritage that they're pulling from the content, you know, the years and the decades of content that they're pulling from was dominated by white male characters, you know, so that, you know, and I'm, I'm not, you know, not, not meaning to exclude, you know, the fact that some of the pioneering, um, BIPOC characters and female characters of great comic book lore, um, Marvel was responsible for a lot of that, you know, um, mm-hmm. X-Men in particular, you know, that, that was, you know, that was a, a kind of way ahead of its time in terms of representation. But um, by and large, we're talking about, you know, a very white male perspective um, when it comes to superhero creation. So what they're pulling from, that's that's what they're pulling from. So even if you get an Ava DuVernay to direct or, you know, someone to write, you know, a person of color to write or whatever, producers you know black producers um typically what you're going to see on screen unless they change the race of the character which they've done before Mm -hmm. uh, you can still get a lot of white male representation so original characters you know i think that should be thrown into the conversation are we going to see is this an opportunity now if things start moving more and more to streaming um whether you're talking about mcu star wars bond whatever is this an opportunity for us to see more original characters created Mm -hmm. um bipod characters created um, as you know, that's something I, I would look forward to um, from a, both a per- personal and a professional level. Yeah, and, and I do think the small screen is where that battle is going to be fought. Um, you know, I just brought up Dion, uh, Raising Dion mm-hmm. on Netflix, and right. um, the production company is called Outlier Society. Right, and that's Michael B. Jordan, right? That's Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. But the head of production and development is a young woman of color named Alana Mayo, mm-hmm. who has a mm-hmm. lot of industry experience before coming mm-hmm. to Outliners. She, she was, was uh, a VP right? at Paramount. She was a VP at Paramount. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm thinking I'm getting her confused. Okay, From yeah. Chicago. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, you know, worked on the Fahrenheit 451 project, which was the mm-hmm. first Out- Outlier Society project for HBO. So it's like these these battles, I believe, are going to happen. And, uh, and, and the, and you know the progress uh, or retreat of these of, of these battles are going to happen on the small screen streaming, and they're going to be fought by people that you don't necessarily see because, mm-hmm. be it their position, they're not in front of the camera. They're not even behind the camera. They're in the front office. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I'm. I'm with that. You know. I'm with. I, I could see that happening. So, let me ask you before we close out. Let me ask you a question and just bring it back full circle to to the to the to the title of this episode. Can superhero cinema survive 2020? Do you think that the the run, you know, because I mean, listen, it was just last year when we were all celebrating that 10 year, you know, Marvel run um, epic event never happened before in the history of cinema. This is a great moment, not just for film, but specifically for unreal cinema, for superhero cinema. Do you think that was the beginning and the end of an era? You know, can can going forward, are we going to get that again, or is superhero cinema at that level, you know, kind of done? Um. Well, the answer to your question is no. They can't survive. Superhero films can't survive 2020. This is like Thanos snap, and mm. it's going to be some time before they get their get their bearing back and. Um, I think I don't think 2021 is lost mm-hmm. so much as um, you know 2021 is you know Tony Stark and uh, um, what's, what's, what's Gamora's sister's name floating around in the uh, spaceship Nebula? before before ne- yeah Nebula before Captain <laughs> Marvel comes and uh-huh. finds you know is dispatched and finds them and you know brings them back to Earth. Um, Great analogy. You know, all, all all cheesy analogies aside, I think that. 2022 is probably the brighter outlook mm-hmm. um but you know we're not even to the point where where the ground is settling we're we're in the middle of disruption we're still right. in disruption period right. so people are trying to figure this out on the fly and i don't think that we're going to see any real resolution to this for a couple of years 
Okay, so I pretty much agree with you, but we've always said we're going to end the show on a high note. We're going to expand to the show, so I'm gonna I'm gonna just devil's advocate for the high note, yeah. just on GP. Yeah. So yeah. I'll say that. First of all, I'll say that I would be I agree with you, but I'd be more specific about that to U.S. to you to to the United States response to this to this pandemic and the fact that okay okay um, that's fair the fucked up response basically to the pandemic um, mm-hmm. is you know is is the kind of the uh, the antithesis of what's happened in some other countries, some other Western countries, and even some countries like New Zealand. Um, I mean, I know there's a lot of variables, population density, um, blah 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 blah. So we're not going to get in that conversation, but just devil's advocate for that. I'm going to say that. But also, I would say that I think once we come out of this crisis, if there's still pieces left to pick up and put something together again, I feel that people's hunger will be so, you know, people will be so hungry for this type of content to go back Mm -hmm. to those, you know, halcyon days when we were, you know, it sounds like it's such a long time ago. It was like a year ago. When we were sitting in the theater, you know, about to get getting uh, hyped about to watch uh, Endgame, you know, mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. people would be so um, desirous to return to that, you know, that level of excitement that superhero cinema will take off, you know, pick up from where it left off and maybe even reach higher, you know, higher heights. I'm going to devil's advocate for that. Not only, like I said, because I want to end the show on a high note, because that's what I want. Um, yeah. And the best of both worlds to me would be kind of what we were seeing with Disney plus um, at the end of 2019, where you had the success of the Mandalorian married with the anticipation of rise of Skywalker. Now, regardless of how, if you hated rise of Skywalker or love rise of Skywalker, Disney or Lucasfilm in particular uh, specific was attempting to exist in both of these worlds at a very high level. Um, that's the best of both worlds for any, you know, unreal fan. So that's yeah. what I want. So let's, let's end it on that note, please. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let us know what you think. Uh, find us on Twitter. My name is Arthur. A-R-R-T-H-U-R-R is my handle. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Isaac Perry. Make sure if you hit us on Twitter that you hashtag Mad Unreal. Um, so we can include your thoughts in the show and in future shows If we didn't get to your thoughts on today or any other particular show. Um, please keep hitting us because we're going to include you guys um, in future shows and future conversations, because these these like the great serials of the past. These um, conversations that we have on Mad and Real are not closed. They're open ended. So we continue to uh, to revisit some of these thoughts and um, check back in on some things. So. Keep hitting us on Twitter and hashtagging Matt Unreal, and uh, we'll get to your your thoughts and um, keep these conversations going. All right. That's a full lid. Keep it unreal. Peace. Peace.